Professors FM. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis, and I'm joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? I'm doing well, Mike. It's NFL preseason time, and my guy George Pickens is showing out for your Pittsburgh Steelers. I think you guys got yourself a player in the second round, and I'm just enjoying having some form of football to consume as we approach football season. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's always interesting, right? It's like you you turn on the the sports media right now and I don't know if it how long it's been this way, but clearly NFL preseason gets equal weight to MLB playoff um playoff runs at, at this stage. Yeah. That it's just it's Everyone is is hyped and ready to go. It's fantasy football. It's quarterback yep. battles. It's you know stories about how some guy is not playing in the preseason. Right. It, it is. It is the American sport. Yeah, Roquan Smith last week in the news demanding a trade from the Chicago Bears, uh, hometown team for you as well. So uh, constant NFL news. I would say even more so than Major League Baseball that will probably change pretty soon as baseball approaches playoffs. But NFL, we've talked about this a million times. They know how to keep the story going, whether their games are being played or not. And as soon as preseason starts, it's pretty much game over for anyone else that's competing for our attention as sports fans. Okay, now, Doug, where I want to start today is I want to start with, of all things, tennis. I don't know that we've ever really discussed tennis. Is this the first but, tennis episode? Um, <laughs> With the, the two the of first, us, at least, I think. The first and final tennis episode, perhaps. That, But it's a, you know, I, I think the big story, and it's a story that's going to continue because she's going to play through the U.S. Open, which I think is in the, might be early September or late August. Mm-hmm. Serena Williams' retirement. Now, before we even go into this, do you mind if I get on a soapbox for a second? Mike, this podcast is your soapbox. Okay, awesome. <laughs> okay, so Doug, I was thinking about it as I was putting together my notes on Serena Williams and the world of tennis. I was thinking, you know what? This show would have been a lot more fun to do in the 1990s. Now, that's probably hard for you to relate to. What year were you born? 96. Okay, so in the 90s, I, I think... The 90s were a time where essentially sports and marketing were merging, right? So this was when, you know, prior to Michael Jordan and Nike yeah. blowing things up, you know, you would see guys with endorsement deals where they were wearing champion. Walter Payton for the Chicago Bears was wearing, you know, kangaroos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bjorn Borg was wearing a Fila jacket. You know, it, it, was a, it was entirely a different world. And so, you know, the big story probably throughout the entire 90s was how marketing and sports were merging. You know, I remember the, and again, before your time, so I apologize a little bit, but I remember like the Gatorade campaign that featured Jordan, Peyton Manning, Mia Hamm, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, you know, that was the, that was what sports were about. That was the, that was the fandom story. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like every time there's a story, even if it's about a, a, a tennis player retiring, there's politics on the periphery, Right. 
And there's politics on the periphery in a way that feels, I, I, I think you feel the same thing I do, that unless you're sort of going along with the very standard narrative, you're almost in a little bit of dangerous territory. Does that feel fair? That feels fair. And that's what makes this podcast at times difficult to navigate on the microphone. We live in an era where anything you say can and will be used against you in in journalism or in discussion, anything in the public forum. And we see that with how sports are covered nowadays. And, and it, along those lines, as I was thinking about it, and again, putting my notes together this morning, it, it struck me that, and I want to get to something sort of local at Emory, mm-hmm. That something happened over the last six or seven years where sports journalism got boring, right? Where there was only one side to the story. And, yeah. you know, this ESPN talking head format where essentially, you know, it's, it's Mike and Doug in the morning. And basically, we're just shouting at each other, <laughs> trying to make the same point more forcefully, right? LeBron James and, and I mean, is I, not a top 10 player of all time. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, but some of these, right, right. And so but beyond those kind of debates, you know, I'll, I'll give you some examples. Okay. So th- this is one that kind of hit me a few years ago or a year or two ago. The social justice protests did not reduce fan interest. Right. I mean, I remember reduce. talking. Yeah. And sort of, you could not write an article basically saying that the social justice protests reduce fan interest, except if you, except if you were writing for something like Fox news or something like in their orbit, right? That, That was an unacceptable opinion. I got news for you. The social justice protests did reduce fan interest. Um, the woman's national team was fighting for equal pay rather than fighting to redo a contract negotiation they had. Only one of those opinions was acceptable. Uh, college, one of the classic arguments: college players should be paid. That was something that has long been debated. Now it's just how much should they be paid, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, when a coach comes out and says something along the lines of, "I'm concerned about these young men getting too much too fast or whatever," uh, there's lo- loads of criticism. So. Coaches can't speak their minds if they have an opinion outside of the correct opinion in the eyes of someone and everyone. And and I could go on and on. You know, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles are advocates for mental health, right? And that is the only acceptable take on those stories. So, and I couldn't help but think this as Serena Williams announced her retirement that every article I saw ended up sort of delving into racial and gender issues. And and I I mean, I almost think we need, we need like a musical bump or something. I don't know what the tech, what it's called that basically says we're sort of in danger territory here on the podcast. Now, Doug, (laughs) as we noted, neither of us is particularly, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) neither of us is particularly passionate tennis fans, but I got to tell you, I'm fascinated by, when, when we have something like Serena Williams retiring, then suddenly I've got all sorts of tennis questions. Um, I, I'll, let me read you some of my tennis questions. What happens to women's tennis now? Serena was the star of stars, wasn't she? Can you name yeah, how many like, other tennis players can you name? Sharapova. 
Okay. <laughs> <Venus>. Chris Evans. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, not very many. Not okay. Very. Now, here, here's a follow-up question. Um, does tennis actually need the USA? I looked it up, and the top men's player, I think, is ranked number 13 in the world, and the top women's U.S. player is ranked 7 in the world. When you look at TV ratings, tennis does... I think for something like Wimbledon, I saw a number they were doing 25 million people watching Wimbledon oh, finals in the yeah. UK versus 3 million in the US, which makes me wonder, is like the US actually completely irrelevant to the world of tennis? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like it's largely irrelevant as far as who's watching, the audience, the fandom. And, and then on the court, beyond the Williams sisters can the U S stay as relevant as they've been because having the biggest star in the sport certainly helps, but it seems and like there's, and does there's it matter? quite the drop off after that. Okay. Some other questions. Tennis is unique because the tournaments are often held jointly. You have the men's and the women's tournaments on the same ticket, essentially. Yeah. I didn't, and I did a little bit of digging. The U.S. Open started having equal prize money in, 19, in, the, in the 1970s between the men's and the women's tournament. Wimbledon just went to pay equality in 2007. I think as a sports economist, that's kind of a fascinating question. Is, is that actually... And again, this is one of these topics that you can't really have a... It's hard to take the contrary opinion. You know, how should the economics of these tournaments work when you look at the, the demand and where the revenues are coming from? Another question, and again, sort of minefields type stuff. Did Serena bring PEDs to women's tennis? You know, again, you, know, you can sort of keep your hands clean on this one. I don't know the answer to that, but it doesn't seem like that game has changed. And then the final one is... Related to Serena as the women's tennis goat. Doug, why do we have so many goats currently playing? Marketing. <laughs> the, the, there's the perception that you can, you can build an image around a great, an, an all-time great performer, maybe not the greatest of all time, but if they're the greatest of the generation and maybe the greatest anybody or of a certain generation has seen, you can certainly create that image. I think that Jordan was the goat to his generation in basketball. The next generation, I mean, my generation really grew up thinking Kobe Bryant was the goat. He was, he was the next evolution in basketball beyond Jordan, but that's who we saw. And nowadays Gen Z, to them, LeBron's the GOAT. There's always the greatest of all time. It's always the current guy in basketball. You look across sports, it's kind of like in the NFL draft. They'll say, this guy's a generational talent. There might be a kid like this once every 20 years. And they'll say that the next year about a kid in the same exact position. So there's in sports, I don't know if it's hyperbole or I don't know if it's just really good marketing. And a combination of really good marketing and, and phenomenal athletes. Serena Williams is a phenomenal athlete. She's had a phenomenal career, but it's it's not too difficult to create the perception that she's the all-time great, the all-time greatest. Maybe she is. I think that's a good answer, though. That the the we, the reason we have almost a goat in every the goats are all active 
except for a few occasions where I don't think that, like I don't think every I think Gretzky's still the goat in hockey. Yeah, and I think, I think when I think when Brady's done, it's going to take a while for a Mahomes or somebody to to be in, maybe Joe Burrow. I don't know. It's going to take when there's that many championships. It's going to take a little while, and it took a while for LeBron to get really cemented in that conversation. For the longest time, he didn't have a championship, and you, you just couldn't call him the GOAT <laughs> until he was somewhat competitive with rings, even though it can be debated how he got his rings uh, in comparison to his other GOAT competitor, Michael Jordan. But I think, you know, my point is really probably about half the sports, there's a claim that the active superstar is the GOAT, which is, uh, you know, an, an interesting phenomenon. And for, so for a sport like tennis, women's tennis, what happens when the GOAT disappears, right? It's, it's like in any of these sports that are so star-driven, what happens when the GOAT is gone? Yeah. You know, and, and the NBA always struggles with this, right? I mean, who's who's next after LeBron? They're always looking for that, you know, that, that who's next kind of concept. UFC is another sport. Uh, golf probably suffers a little bit. Well, you know that golf suffers a little bit, right? In that when suddenly Tiger, Tiger. enters a tournament yeah. or has a good day, suddenly everyone is thrilled and all eyes are on Tiger. Yeah, Tiger Woods is a, is a great comparison. And of course, the man is still golfing. And so we can't see that with, Co- with Michael Jordan. The NBA was very fortunate to have a 2.0 coming into the league about the time Jordan was leaving. That was Kobe Bryant. And I think it was pretty evident to everyone that there were so many similarities that they could just go ahead and, and rally behind him as, as the mantle holder. I don't know about women's tennis. I don't know that they say, okay, who's our next Serena Williams? There isn't the, particularly in the United States, there hasn't been the wealth of greats in household names in that sport. It's one or two people, that's it. Whereas in basketball, like even with LeBron, there's five or six guys in the mix to be the next guy. If LeBron retires next year, Giannis, Luka, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, there's that whole generation, Anthony Edwards, John Morant. There's a number of guys that most basketball fans know, most sports fans know. I don't know that that's hey, the case with tennis. There's really one person, it's Serena Williams. So when she's Doug, gone, if have, Doug, if you have five guys, do you have any guys? Is it that kind of classic? <laughs> it's, it's kind of like having five quarterbacks, I guess. Um, there's at least names that people know, and if one of them goes and wins four championships, they're that guy all of a sudden. I don't know about with tennis. I. You asked me earlier if I could name, you know, how many women's tennis players I could name. It's like I could name Serena Williams every year of my life up until this point. And outside of her and, and a small handful of others, it's it's a ghost town as far as brands that are recognizable in the United States and can be built up like Serena Williams has been. Okay, so what I want to turn to next, so as this retirement was going down and you know, thinking about some of the questions about the, the future of women's tennis, the economics of it, the fan interest in it, our major point of emphasis for the fall or the late summer and fall is going to be something we call the Next Generation Fandom Survey. 
This is a national survey of fandom practices and attitudes with some psychological questions. But one part of that is also we asked respondents to evaluate how much they like a decent number of celebrities. I think we got about 40 or 45 celebrities and athletes on the list. Serena Williams is one of those in the survey. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I took some time to do yesterday was to pull some data so we could look at how Serena Williams compares to some of the other folks that are in, I don't know, let's call it the GOAT category. So the the first slide I'm going to go to here is, can you read that okay, Doug? Yeah. Okay. So the GOATs. And this is, when we did the survey, we ran the survey in April. So it, it's, a, it's one of our major initiatives to, to gather this data. Uh, we survey about 2,000 people. There's 2,040 people represented in the data on, on the chart. We ask for this list of celebrities for folks to rate how much they like that celebrity, how much they're a fan of that celebrity. I forget the exact word, wording. On a one to seven scale. And it wasn't my intention to do a comparison of the current goats or the all-time goats, but you know, thinking through and looking at the the thinking through Ser- the impact of Serena on tennis and the number of some of the folks we had on this list, I put this chart together. So we've got who do we have? We got LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo. Serena Williams, Roger Federer, um, and again, the things that you learn, there's quite the debate about who the GOAT in men's tennis is. Nadal, a name I can't pronounce, starts with a D, and Federer are all sort of in there. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Mike Tyson, Simone Biles, and Wayne Gretzky. In terms of the folks we had on the list, those are the ones that I felt were sort of in the GOAT-type category. And then I also threw Dolly Parton in just for kind of the heck of it as a, as a comparison. So, I mean, you know, I, so we're, we're going to a video format with the podcast. Well, so, Doug, that's going to be available on things like YouTube, right? Correct. Okay, and but for those of you listening, I mean, you know, I, I didn't read off the numbers. Anything sort of jump out at you at this chart? Yeah, a few things. First off, Dolly Parton being on there is interesting to me. That's a Mike <laughs> Lewis move right there. But secondly, um, okay, Dolly- let me let me say this. So I asked my students, undergraduates at Emory, I, I showed them the celebrity and athlete list we had last year and asked them who I should add to it. And there was one student that wrote down Dolly Parton. I half think they were joking around with it, but I think Dolly Parton is the number one rated celebrity across the board. So that student may have been joking around, but Dolly has, Dolly is, is Dolly the goat of country music? <laughs> I, that's a hot take. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. Dolly Parton. I didn't realize she was this important. And I understand that some of our audience isn't looking at this, so I'll explain. Dolly Parton's rating is significantly higher than any of the athletes. The closest competitor is Michael Jordan, and he's significantly higher than everybody else, as you would expect. So the rankings would be Parton, Jordan, Simone Biles, and Serena Williams. So uh, another noteworthy 
observation is that the women athletes rank fairly well relative to their male counterparts. You look at Serena versus Federer, uh, significantly higher. And yeah, I don't it's, know it's, why. Maybe it's the marketing. Maybe it's how the, the coverage. Um, and maybe it's easier well, this, to hate a guy like a, Roger Federer. I don't know. This is a sample. So, you know, the, the, the coverage of Serena as an American versus the Swiss Federer, you know, I, I suspect that has something to do with it. But the numbers are 4.2 right. for uh, Serena Williams versus what is that? 3.6 for yeah, Roger Federer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you're right. It's not even close. It's not even close. Tiger Woods higher than Federer. So I, I have to imagine the U.S. media coverage benefited the the U.S. Like even seeing LeBron significantly higher than Ronaldo, um, Tiger Woods over Ronaldo significantly. It seems like the U.S. guys are, are ranking a little bit better, and LeBron James. And Tiger Woods, two guys who I tend to think get hated on a lot. Um, Tiger for his off the <laughs> off the course ethics years back or, or behavior. LeBron for his on the court whining. Both of those guys, it looks on this chart like they are ranking fairly well. But if you look at really the only people behind them are Ronaldo and Federer. So if you account for potentially, you know, just the, they're, they're the bottom two American guys is the bottom line in America on, on this, yeah. on this. And, right. the women, and, and Simone Biles and, and Serena Williams are much more likable according to this. Yeah. And I mean, just, a, just as a side note, this data was collected in April of this year. So, you know, I, and I don't, I don't know that that, matters you know for someone like biles obviously as an olympic athlete where the you know she gets the limelight every every four years and just these careers are short as well uh you know she probably more highly rated than if we had done it i mean but again this was what so you know seven eight months after the olympics maybe perhaps her glow will will fade but it's look when, when i pulled these numbers i was a little bit I was a little, little bit surprised. I'm kind of sensing a little bit of surprise in your voice as well. <laughs> Jordan, I think, makes some sense at the top of this. But I'm kind of surprised that, um, you know, Biles and, and Williams really outperform essentially all the male goats in the table. Yeah, all the current players. Jordan has been, this isn't a word, I don't think. He's been deitized <laughs> post, post-playing days, the documentary all of that. So if you just look at the current athletes, Serena Williams and Simone Biles, both still performing slash playing, both outranking their male counterparts and LeBron James. And we talk all the time, or you know, you, you kind of mentioned earlier about how the coverage gets political with the NIL, we've started to see the college male athletes out earn their male counterparts with the endorsements because of similar things, because they're like ability and the brands are able to grow. I wouldn't be shocked to see. I mean, of course, Simone Biles and Serena Williams are raking in the dough on the endorsement deals, but female athletes, I feel like that's where the real opportunity is at the highest level for those big brands like those two. And I think that they like based on this 
could, you know, they can be very, very competitive with their male counterparts off, off the field, off the court. Well, one of the, and again, one of the questions that arises when I see these numbers, and I think we forget about this or we kind of neglect it when we see Serena doing, Serena Williams doing that well. Remember back at the start of this conversation, we talked a little bit about the TV ratings for tennis. Yeah. They're actually very, very low, right? I mean, so women's finals, the only year that I could find where the women's final outperformed the men's final was, I think, 2018. Serena Williams was playing and it outperformed the men's final by a couple hundred thousand viewers. But female championship matches at Wimbledon, and the data I was looking at draw between 750,000 and 1.4 million. That's not a real number, Doug. I mean, that's a, that, that's a nothing number. And so in some ways, it's really remarkable. That's like a, a G League game. Um, it, might be, it might be like an opening weekend in the USFL when there's a ton of hype. But, but so this is, you know, you realize when you put it in that way, it's like how much of this fame is kind of constructed. We all know Serena Williams. She is, she's cultural icon kind of territory, but no one's really watching. You know, so, so you, know, you, you made this point earlier on that, you know, marketing has a lot to do with the goats. She's been heavily promoted throughout her entire career um the question is you know in, in women's tennis will they will nike choose someone else to promote as heavily because you know let's face it the athlete has to do their part right nike can yeah, promote exactly. you exactly you to win okay so next slide uh, generational trends so here i i reduced the the number of folks that are on the on the picture, uh, just to make it a little bit more readable. So we've got Serena Williams, Michael Jordan, Simone Biles, Roger Federer, and Tiger Woods. But we're looking at their rating on this average rating on the seven point scale for different generational cohorts. So Generation Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers. I'll start right off the bat, and then you can sort of give me some of your some of your insights on anything that sort of occurs to you looking at this. Michael Jordan is still the sports marketing goat. I think he, looking at these numbers, yeah, he, he is the goat of goats, right? He is the, he has the highest score across every generation. Looks like he's tied with Simone Biles for the baby boomer group, but he you know, his appeal is universal. It's, it's concentrated in the millennials and Gen X, which makes, some, which makes some sense. But, you know, while Jordan wins, Simone Biles is right in there. And again, you know, dominates compared to some of the other folks. Yeah. So Simone Biles versus Roger Federer, Tiger Woods. Uh, LeBron's not on this. But interesting to me that Biles really and Serena Williams are right there with Jordan with the baby boomers. That's, yeah. that's you know, surprising one of the, to me. One of my thoughts is that Biles does so well, and this might be a, a real problem for the Olympics, is that the Olympics probably really skew pretty highly in terms of being watched by the baby boomers. 
And, and so mm. you think Biles is a younger person that maybe should do better with Gen Z. But I got to tell you, I don't think Gen Z was watching much of the Olympics. They might have been following it, you know, sort of On via Twitter, social media. But terms, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of really diving in and getting those sort of sports narratives, that, that might be a baby boomer thing. Oh, yeah. And I, I've got boots on the ground as far as being around Gen Z. And during the Olympics, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. And when I was back home, my parents watch everything, every event. They get all into all the stories. They find new people to root for. And I enjoyed that. And so that's kind of my natural tendency. Um, but I found myself, A, not having the time or capacity to do that as much. And B, having conversations with people, a lot of people I know that are in that generation were not aware that they were even happening or weren't familiar with any of the stories beyond maybe Sean White in the most recent Winter Olympics, which was last year. So that's how the Olympics are consumed for my generation. If there's something that happens that can go viral on TikTok, people will be familiar with that. Outside of that, it's going to be maybe 1% that really watches the Olympics, really understands, even a star as big as Simone Biles. Hey, the other insight that at least is one of these, I, one of these things where I think I think something, when you look at Serena Williams, her scores are pretty close across all the generational cohorts. I think that means that she is, again, sort of an indicator that she's become this cultural icon, that it's not so much people tuning in to watch her tennis matches because, well, frankly, that's just not happening, but that she is, frankly, just, she is the GOAT. She is a celebrity that's going to appear on award shows, that she's going to be you know, hyped up when she is playing. She's going to be the face of the sport, and I think that's something that's going to come from it's going to result in her being this celebrity across all the generations looking at the figure she has the smoothest path from gen z all the way to the baby boomers the most similar scores compared to any of the athletes that's a great point i did not that didn't jump off the page at me just about every other athlete fares really well with one or two generations and not the rest. Um, but like you said, a smooth chart for Serena. And I think she's really well positioned for a great post-career career. Should she embrace that? Of course, I know that she's the reason for her retirement is to focus on family. So we'll, we'll see what Serena Williams decides to do. She can do whatever she wants. Um, it's up to her right now. She's choosing family. Okay, Doug, the next one. This was kind of the aha moment. So this next chart looks at that same group of goats or goat types, but breaks the average scores down for the male and the female responses. So breaking this down by gender. I, you know, do you want, do you want to tell it, you know, take a look at this figure. And again, I, I don't know, we got to get the right balance between the audio format and the, the, the visuals, the, the visuals, by the way, are all on the, are all going to be on the www.fandomanalytics.com page. So you can take a look at the charts. Um, you know, Jordan, again, you know, is, is the dominant figure on the chart, but something interesting happens here. Yeah. On the female Ranking. So there's a male and a female ranking on the chart. The female ranking 
is actually really close between Serena and Jordan, and Simone Biles is a dead tie with Michael Jordan. And by the way, the the other interesting gender-related ranking is that Serena Williams is ranked higher amongst males than with females. What's up with that? That was the one that really jumped off the page to me. Yeah. That suddenly, or, or surprisingly, especially given the way all the coverage is, as you know, putting uh, Serena Williams in this kind of feminist icon kind of category, that the preference ratings were actually higher for the men re- male respondents than for the female respondents. The average male rating was four point three out of seven versus four point one out of seven for the female respondents. So it's close, but you know, it, that was a little bit of a. Well, let's put it this way: that was a surprise to me. In, in contrast, Simone Biles has a higher preference rating from female respondents than from male respondents, which is what I would expect. And on the flip side, I'll say this: like Serena and Simone, both of them, it's pretty close. Like it's for Serena, it's male four point three, female four point one. For Simone, it's male four point two, female four point three. Federer and Tiger Woods, the two males on here that aren't Michael Jordan, there's a pretty significant drop-off between male fandom and female fandom. Obviously, for Tiger Woods, we can probably put the pieces together as to why that is, um, with a 4.3 amongst male fans and 3.5, a significant drop-off. Roger Federer, 3.9 with males, 3.4 amongst female fans. So Simone and Serena are more appealing, they're more broadly appealing across genders than their male counterparts. Like I said, Roger Federer and Tiger Woods. Of course, Michael Jordan is just, there's a drop off for him, but even his low is just as high as the highest female rating across the boards uh, with his his female rating being that 4.3 is the same as Simone Biles. So Jordan, to me, Jordan's like, that's how you know he's the goat of goats is when you put him on a list of goats and his numbers are just higher in every category, every single chart that we're doing. Um, to me, he's an outlier as far as if you're comparing genders. And if you just look at Serena and Simone against Federer and Tiger Woods, there's some real learnings as far as the marketability of these sports athletes you can take away. And one one thought that I had, because like I said, I was a little bit surprised by this. Can you tell me what you think of this theory? Men continue to watch more sports than women, uh, quite a bit more sports than, than women. And if you just, you know, so if you're just, you know, I'm saying watching sports, watching sports coverage. So if you're watching channels like ESPN or Fox Sports One, but also if you're watching games, I think you're going to see more advertising that is geared towards sports fans, right? When Subway puts an advertising campaign together that features Barkley, Megan Rapinoe, Simone Biles, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, they're going to play it during programming that sports fans are watching. And and so what I suspect is happening is that, again, even if people aren't watching a lot of tennis, they are seeing a lot of Serena Williams. And to some extent, a lot of Simone Biles. I mean, you you know, whether or not you're watching the tennis tournaments, I think you're going to see a lot of those two, Williams and Biles, than you are going to see of Federer 
just because you know he's not in the subway ad. He's not in um, you know whatever campaigns. He's not featured on ESPN quite as much. In the case of Tiger Woods, uh, again, I, you know I think Tiger's a fascinating athlete with a fascinating story. I was uh, his his gender difference is kind of off the charts. I think he had the biggest gender difference uh, of any athlete or any celebrity. Well, that's not true. I think his gender difference was at the same level as folks like Joe Rogan and Dave Portnoy, which gives you a sense of something's happening there. Well, there's something that those figures have in common across the board, as far at least as far as the perception of those figures um, in regards to women. And so... You can put the pieces together with why Tiger Woods has such a drastic drop off between male fans and female fans. Fair enough. Okay. Last chart Serena versus the Goats, respondent political ideology. Okay. So, Doug, you know, I love this survey. I love this survey because <laughs> this is my chance to kind of do some some real world research in terms of exploring just how fandom works. So what this question is getting at or what this figure is getting at this, this data is how much are the celebrities liked by people that by subjects, the how those respondents vote the rate themselves, whether they're conservative, liberal or moderate. And <laughs> wow. Huh? Yeah. Wow is right. So to explain why we're saying wow, of course, the audience can't see this or some of the audience. Serena Williams, enormous drop off from liberal to moderate and a pretty equal drop off from moderate to conservative. You can see the political ideology of the people that like these figures very much like that. Michael Jordan, on the other hand, again, the universal star. His liberal and conservative rates are more or less the same and even higher with moderates. Um, Simone Biles, her figure greatly reflects Serena Williams, to nobody's surprise. Uh, much higher with liberal than, con- than moderate and higher with moderates than conservatives. Roger Federer and Tiger Woods, of course, their numbers are lower across the board. But um, strangely enough, Federer fares better with those who identify as liberals and moderates, conservatives, a little bit of a drop off, more or less the same. Tiger Woods is the one athlete who fares better amongst conservatives than moderates and better amongst moderates than liberals. I'm sure I could think of just based on the nature of these ideologies, more athletes who rank that way. Um, but it, it nevertheless, it's a very interesting takeaway see how you know how Jordan stands with the different political parties um if you know Jordan who is infamously what what was it that he said to to kind of signal he was apolitical back in the day Republicans buy buy sneakers too yeah so Michael Jordan who who once said Republicans buy sneakers too faring pretty well whereas someone like and I, I don't know the political stances. I don't keep up with this with athletes, but Simone Biles, who at least has been, um, so, like Doug, Simone Biles been, might not be old enough to vote. I'm not sure. <laughs> she's old enough to vote, Mike. But her her, her story in, in more recent years has probably tended to be 
criticized a little bit more. If anyone's going to take the critical angle, it's going to be the conservative media. And if anyone's going to glorify the the mental health focus of her story is going to be the more liberal and mainstream media. And so her likability across ideologies reflects that. And I think the same goes for Serena Williams. Um, Tiger Woods, of course, the opposite, <laughs> which it doesn't surprise me, but it, it's it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of my observations. So Tiger Woods has a, the way the data looks, how much he is, the preference for Tiger Wood changes slightly as you go from liberal to conservative. It changes dramatically as you go from liberal to conservative with Serena Williams and Simone Biles. I think you, you know, intuitively you might have thought that Tiger Woods being a golfer, maybe golfers more associated with conservatives, that you might have yeah. seen a bigger, a big jump there. Um, some of the other stuff that pops out is that Serena Williams and Simone Biles actually enjoy higher preference than Michael Jordan with liberal-leaning respondents. This is the first time that anyone in, in all this data that anyone comes out ahead of Michael Jordan when we drill down to different to different subsegments. So, you know, while Jordan is strong across the board, Serena Williams and Simone Biles have really strong, powerful brands. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about with that liberal segment. Doug, when I actually look at this and I look at just, let's say, the, 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 the preference ratings, I'm not, it, you know, there's two ways to look at this. And this, I think, is one of the things that happens in the, the coverage of Serena Williams. And I, I think my take is going to be a little bit at odds with how it's being covered. I'm not sure. You can look at this as Serena Williams has a very strong liberal brand, or you could look at it like conservatives don't like Serena Williams. Given that the scores with conservatives for Serena Williams are actually higher than for Roger Federer and about the same for Tiger Woods, I think it's the former that right. Serena Williams just has this very powerful brand with liberal respondents. That's, that's a great, well, I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think that's right on. And same with, you know, you're talking about Serena Williams, Simone Biles is more or less the same as far as the numbers here. So you have to imagine. And in fact, she's ranking higher amongst conservatives than Federer and Tiger Woods. So it's not just equal, it's even higher um, amongst conservatives. So these figures, they resonate well with conservatives. They resonate extraordinarily well with, with liberal audiences. And again, like I said before, Mike, this is where there's always been debate. And I think the argument has always been that well, they don't make as much money because they don't draw the same audiences. They don't generate the same revenue on the court or on the field, whatever it might be. Um, off the field, there's some pretty interesting findings. And and people like Simone Biles are cashing in on that, by the way. It's not like Simone Biles isn't earning as much as her counterparts in endorsements because she is. And as is Serena Williams, who just had a movie made about her. Um, and so that's that for those who follow that story in sports, I think with NIL, as I mentioned earlier, has been a huge step forward 
And it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see, regardless of how many people watch these sports, how the figures of the sports can perform even better as far as their likability in the minds of the public, whether the public's really watching them perform on a regular basis or not. Yeah. And I think that's, you're putting your, you're kind of putting your finger on something else that's interesting about this. And in some ways it kind of goes right back to this issue where we started this discussion about in the nineties, it was sports merging with, with marketing, you know, that's still going on. And I think when you're looking at the data that we're, we're seeing, you do realize that, you know, where these athletes end up in terms of how beloved they are and with different segments, it really probably is a function of both what they do on the court and how the media and the marketing companies decide to embrace them, right? I mean, you know, Serena is indistinguishable from Nike at this point, right? Nike has invested in her and built that, built that brand. And now it's truly something spectacular. And again, maybe the data says she does better with liberals than conservatives. But the reality is she's a cultural icon. And she's got relatively strong support from Generation Z all the way to the boomers. She actually does better with men than from women. She has been, and again, I'm not, this sounds very critical. This is from a sport that doesn't get a lot of people watching and they have still been able to turn her into this, like I said, I think cultural icon is the only word. And she's had, she's had the Michael Jordan advertising package with Gatorade, Nike, all the, I mean, the big, it's almost a carbon copy of Michael Jordan, which is part of why I think she's considered the GOAT. You look at her, she has all these things in common with the other GOAT. Michael yeah, Jordan. absolutely. And Nike, Nike only wants to work with the GOAT. Right, right. And so I, I think that's a huge part of the equation. Now, Mike, I have a, one last question. I know we took the, the chart from the uh, political uh, ideology ranking off but i'm curious to know so several of these athletes rank significantly higher amongst liberals than moderates and conservatives and there's this perception um and maybe it's because of where i grew up with football and golf being big sports but there's this perception that conservatives consume and enjoy sports more than their liberal counterparts um do you have data because this is showing the likability. Are, are are liberals that don't even watch sports liking these figures? Or is is it a more balanced audience than maybe some may have imagined? And Or is it an evolving audience where it's changing and becoming more and more of the, the people who identify as liberals consuming sports? Okay, this is a, this is a great question. And... I will admit that when I when I pulled the data and did the comparisons, I tried to have a certain logic, but a little bit of it was kind of arbitrary, right? Like I mean, I used Federer because he was a tennis player, and in the debate for being the the goat of male tennis players, right? Mm -hmm. The data is actually your intuition that conservatives tend to be the bigger sports fans is actually is actually accurate. Okay. That when you look more broadly across a, a more of a range of athletes, and if you look broadly across a range of sports, fandom, whether it be for sport or for athlete, 
tends to be more of a conservative trait. The logic for that, or the I, I think the, the psychological basis for that, is that conservatives tend to have personalities where they are more parts of, it's more important for them to be parts of groups. And they tend to view groups as being something that reflects who they are. And so it's, again, it it sounds like something a conservative would be, right? Something that they belong to the structures of society, right? The, The standard established structures. And so when you look at fandom across the board, it is almost always conservatives that are the bread and butter of really just about every league out there with, I think the NBA is relatively even at this point, but across all the other leagues, conservatives are the bread and butter in terms of you know the the NFL and Major League Baseball and hockey that they are the the core of who the fan bases are. Okay, guys, so we're gonna wrap it up as we have a little bit of Wi-Fi issues either on my end or on Doug's end. Like I said, you know the the Serena Williams stuff is is stuff that you know I, I think it's really power. The Serena versus the goat is, is powerful stuff. It's an opportunity to bring some original data into this and have more of a data-informed conversation than just throwing opinions out there. But it does create a little bit of a complexity for us in terms of how we're operating as an audio podcast with a web page and with YouTube. So I absolutely encourage you guys to take a look at the, our offerings via YouTube soon to be offerings via YouTube, but definitely take a look at the www.fandomanalytics webpage where you can see these charts. There's going to be a lot of charts and a lot of data as we proceed over the course of the next couple of months, really probably through the end of the year, digging into this fandom survey, a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. Um, We're starting with some stuff that just gives kind of some high-level results. I'll give you a hint. One of the keys really is, it's it's one of the themes we've talked about here on the podcast, this idea that sports audiences are continuing to fragment. You know, tennis is a great example of that where, you know, it's not the Super Bowl where you got 100 million people watching, you got two, two and a half, three million people watching. It's not even the 1980s where McEnroe versus Borg might have got you, you know, 12, 15 million folks watching a tennis match. Uh, from there, we're going to talk about differences in gender. We're going to look at uh, differences across the generations. So a lot of good stuff. As always, thanks for listening and you know, hope you're enjoying the... You know, please check out the visual elements. A lot of good stuff coming.